Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. The importance of setting boundaries can't be overstated. Establishing boundaries is a healthy way of expressing your needs, practicing self-care, and setting limits so that other people don't take advantage of you or unintentionally hurt you in some way. We need boundaries with our jobs, with our friends, and with our sexual and romantic partners. Basically, every social relationship we have could benefit from defining the boundaries. However, the problem is that most of us aren't very good at establishing them. This can be difficult to do for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is that setting boundaries often feels like saying no. And no can be a hard word for a lot of us to say because we want to please others, or maybe we're afraid of being rejected. Or in the workplace, we might even be afraid of losing our jobs. So let's talk about boundaries. In today's show, we're going to discuss everything you need to know, starting with identifying your own boundaries, because sometimes we don't know what our limits are until we've blown way past them. We'll also explore how to make boundary setting easier, when it's the right time to have a discussion about boundaries, how to communicate them effectively, as well as how to move on when boundary violations occur. I am joined by Dr. Allison Ash, a trauma-formed intimacy coach and educator. She is also a Stanford University lecturer, author, and founder of TurnOn.Love. She designs workshops, courses, and retreats, and offers individuals and couples coaching to give people the tools they need to discover their desires and confidently pursue them. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. Anytime I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm usually super hot. So in order to get a good night's sleep, I have to strip down, crank the AC, and use the covers minimally. But that has all changed thanks to Cozy Earth. Their sheet set made from sustainable viscose from bamboo fabrics is softer than cotton and temperature regulating. It allows me to stay cool and comfortable all night long. Cozy Earth has been one of Oprah's favorites for years, and now it's one of my favorites. You can try their bedding for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, you can send it back for a full refund. Cozy Earth has provided an exclusive offer for my listeners today. Get 35% off site-wide when you use the code SEXANDPSYCHOLOGY. That's all one word. You can find the link and code in the show notes or visit CozyEarth.com to learn more. Enjoy and sleep well. Women are often left in the dark when it comes to their sexual health and wellness, and this is especially true when they reach their 40s and beyond. It's time to change that. The Scarlet Society is here to help you explore what it is that brings you pleasure, give you the tools you need to take charge of your sexual health, and cultivate the relationships you deserve. Over at scarletsociety.com, you'll find a wealth of informational and educational articles, podcasts, and videos. You'll also discover community support and social networking, as well as curated product selections to level up your intimate life. It's your new home for trusted resources aimed at helping women navigate sex and love after age 40. Check the show notes for the link or visit scarletsociety.com to learn more and liberate your sexuality. Okay, Dr. Alley, let's talk about sexual boundaries. So as a starting point, let's discuss the process of identifying your own boundaries, because before you can communicate them to a partner, you need to know what they are. 
And I think this is something that's harder than it sounds. You know, it's easy to list a bunch of potential boundaries, but there's the question of, is that an actual boundary that you know is a line that you would never want to cross under any circumstances? Or is that a tentative boundary? You know, something you think you just wouldn't like because your culture or society has told you that you shouldn't like that. But if it happened, maybe you'd actually like it. Also, in listing our boundaries, we might neglect some things because we've just never experienced them. So these are what I would call the invisible boundaries, you know, the ones that you aren't aware of until they are crossed. So do you have any advice when it comes to figuring out what your own boundaries are? Because it's just more complex than it sounds. It is complicated because understanding your boundaries is a moving target. Your boundaries are not static and that's what makes it so challenging. So for example, you may have different boundaries with different people in your life. You may have different boundaries with the same person at different times. And the reason why your boundaries are fluid is because your boundaries relate to your capacity as well as your preferences. So you were speaking a lot about familiarity with certain things and the ways that we've been told what's appropriate or not appropriate and the messages that we pick up, that all feeds your preferences. And so your preferences might be something that could be helpful to explore and unpack so that you can examine the sources of your preferences and what actually feels in alignment and where you might want to be more explorative and curious. That's a separate dynamic or or metric here than looking at your capacity. Your capacity is your ability to show up for something. It's determined by the amount of resources that you have. And because your resourcing is fluid, so is your capacity. So your capacity may be determined by how much you've slept, how hungry you are, how stressed you are, how long it's been since you've had a vacation, what you were just doing right beforehand. Your capacity is the amount of reserves that you have for any given activity. And the reality is, is that you can't push past your capacity to increase it. That's just going to dysregulate your nervous system and result in anxiety or overwhelm or anger, frustration, the things that are going to result in disconnection. So it's important that we stay within our capacity so that we can show up as curious and generous and present and patient and all of the things that we need for healthy relating. And so your boundaries are the delineating line between capacity and lack of capacity. And actually, if I can be even a little bit more specific, I think it's helpful to have your boundaries be before your perceived capacity because our ability to determine our capacity is faulty. We're humans. We're not always sure. We might think we have more capacity than we do. And we don't always have to push ourselves to the edges of our capacity. Sometimes it's nice to not have to push yourself that much. So your boundaries are what you get to assert in order to protect your capacity, which allows you to stay in healthy connection with your own body and nervous system, but also in healthy connection with the people that you're wanting to relate with. I think that's all really well said. And I can very much relate to not knowing what my capacity is until I have drastically exceeded it, right? We always think that we're capable of much more than we actually are, or at least many of us have that kind of experience. 
I believe that that's true. And I think the source of that is the fact that we live in this capitalistic society that pushes us to our edges. We have a workplace dynamic where having capacity and boundaries is not appropriate in most workplace cultures. The image of the ideal worker is somebody who pushes themselves to their capacity and then some. And then when you think about how most folks arrange their lifestyles, where they work a crazy number of hours, there's a two-parent family dynamic where they're raising kids, they're also trying to have intimacy, they have a to-do list that's only increasing in size, never decreasing in size. We're trained from a very early age, and in fact, we're celebrated and validated for not honoring our capacity, for pushing ourselves to the edges of our limits, to going into burnout. We're not modeled healthy ways of relating to our own capacity. Yeah. And, you know, it's true that our ability to set boundaries in one context, you know, this is a transferable skill. You know, if you can learn how to set boundaries in one relationship or one context, that is something that you can take and you can export that to other relationships. So if you can get good at this in your personal life, it can help you in your professional life and vice versa. I also really appreciate what you said about boundaries being flexible and fluid. You know, when I think about my own personal boundaries, when it comes to things like intimacy, you know, I used to have a lot more of them in part because I was a fairly insecure, fairly neurotic person. I had a pretty limited idea of what would be comfortable for me. And I never really wanted to step out of that very comfortable zone. But as I've gotten older, that's changed a lot, you know, and I think previously I was creating a bunch of boundaries, kind of boxing myself in to make myself feel safe. But in some ways that was limiting my personal growth. And it was really in the process of relaxing some of these boundaries that I developed a greater sense of security and self-understanding. So I think, you know, when we're talking about boundaries, these aren't like lifelong things necessarily, like this is a line that you draw and you're never going to cross it ever. You know, things that were previously boundaries can disappear later on. Sometimes new boundaries will emerge. So it is all this very fluid, very dynamic process where you're always sort of recalibrating what your boundaries are. And they might also be different in different sexual and intimate relationships. You know, if you're in a consensually non-monogamous relationship, you might have very well have different boundaries with different partners, right? Because it sort of depends on what your comfort zone or level is with that particular individual. So again, this just goes back to the fact that establishing your boundaries, this is much more complicated than I think most people think that it is. It's true. And the reality is, is that when you partner with somebody who respects your boundaries, and honors your no, welcomes your no, and certainly doesn't create any pressure for your no to be different, it creates the safety that we need to explore our maybes. It creates the safety to start to relax our boundaries because we know that if we discover that our maybe becomes a no, our lover is going to respect and honor that. And I think that so much growth can happen in exploring the unknown and in being able to be with discomfort, but we also need the conditions in place to make that safe. And that includes a partner who really deeply wants to know and honor our boundaries. And it also is important to be able to differentiate between discomfort and enduring. And if you're enduring 
that can really create harmful encounters for yourself and for the relationship dynamic that can push us way past our capacity and even result in something that might be traumatic. And so I think it's important to explore discomfort, be willing to be with discomfort, but also honor your capacity and don't get into a place of enduring because then you can start to resent sex, resent your partner. The way that this connects to boundaries, I think that's important to name is that so many people don't assert their boundaries and then they feel angry at somebody else for crossing their boundaries and resent them for crossing their boundaries, but their boundaries were never stated. And because boundaries are fluid and person-specific, we need to take responsibility for naming and asserting our boundaries. And we don't do that because we fear that asserting our boundaries is going to upset the other person and it's going to harm their relationship dynamic. But that's a short-term vision and we're not looking at the cost of not asserting our boundaries over the long term, which is this resentment that it can accrue and the lack of trust that occurs because the other person can't trust our yeses and nos. And so then they're starting to make their own assessment of what our yeses and nos are rather than actually inviting my full truth. Yeah. So boundary setting is something a lot of people struggle with. And you're so right that if you don't communicate your boundaries and you're expecting your partner to be a mind reader and to assume what your boundaries are, that's not going to work out very well for anyone in the end. You know, so we have to get better at asserting our boundaries in all aspects of our lives. This includes our, not just our intimate relationships, but also our work lives. You know, I'm thinking a lot about boundaries and work because I've always struggled with work-life balance. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with because it's easier to say yes to something than it is to say no when you get a request from, say, your employer. And this reminds me of one of my previous academic jobs where I had to take this one-hour seminar on work-life balance. And one of the deans came in and was trying to teach us how to have work-life balance and just failed spectacularly. So she said that she devotes herself to the university Monday through Friday, but weekends are for her. Except she said she has to work sometimes on Saturdays, but Sundays are always hers. Except she sometimes has to check her email on Sundays. And so, you know, it just gets worse and worse as it goes along. So she was also talking about how she values health and fitness, finds time to exercise regularly no matter what, which led one of the participants in the workshop to say, well, how do you find time to exercise if you're working all the time? And she said, well, the way that I find balance is to get up at 4.30 a.m. every morning to exercise before work because otherwise it doesn't happen. And my jaw was just on the floor because that is so not balanced. Like you have to get up at fucking 4.30 every morning to exercise so that you can go to work, work full days every day, and then work on the weekends. Like it just doesn't make sense. But, you know, it's the same thing with our sex and love lives is that we just sort of have this hard time saying no, which is kind of what boundaries are. You know, it's a way of saying no, like I don't want to go there. We can't seem to do that in the workplace. We can't seem to do it in our intimate relationships. So I think you addressed sort of, you know, why saying no is hard, but 
how do we get past that? You know, how can we get more comfortable with boundary setting? How do you communicate this in the context of an intimate relationship? So at the beginning of a relationship, do you just sit down and say, here are my boundaries? Or do you just address them as they come up? Like, what's your advice for just getting started with this? Well, I think if you have some very clear overarching boundaries that would be helpful for the other person to know, you can just share them early on in the relationship. I think that can feel really orienting. And you might approach that by saying, I'd love to have a really intimate and vulnerable conversation with you where we explore our boundaries as well as what we're open to and excited to explore, right? That's the other edge of your boundary. It's not just what you're a no to, but it's also what you're a yes to. That's within your boundaries. And so it can be helpful to remember that. I also think that when you're asserting your boundaries, it can feel hard because you're worried that the other person is going to feel rejected. And so part of what can be helpful, and this is always optional, never required, you're always able to just say no, you don't have to justify or explain, But if you're concerned about maintaining connection, that feels like a high priority for you. What I recommend that you do is you start by offering genuine affirmation or genuine desire to be able to meet their wants and needs. Then you can name your limit and then you can explain your limit. So for example, if somebody is asking, we had a hot date and they want to stay over and spend the night. I might say something like, I've really enjoyed hanging out. I'm feeling really tired and I need to go to bed. I have a long day tomorrow. So I really enjoyed hanging out. Genuine affirmation. I'm feeling tired. I need to go to bed. That's my limit. Explanation. I have a long day tomorrow. I think that that can help to bring the other person in on your experience a little bit and creates the opportunity for them to align with your boundaries because they understand where they're coming from. Yeah, I think that's all a very helpful way of thinking about this. And I'm also thinking about this in the context of sexual activity. Like say your partner proposes like, hey, let's try this new thing sexually. I think it would be really odd. And you're like, "Mm, nope, like that's just not a place I want to go. I'm not into it. It's not a turn on for me. So a way that you can sort of reframe that act of just saying no is to say, you know, I'm not really down for that, but I might be open to this other thing instead, right? So that's also another way of sort of dealing with this issue of boundary setting is to like turn the no into a, here's this other thing something that you will say yes to. Because when you can provide those alternatives, I think that that can be sort of a helpful way of working through, especially something like a sexual disagreement. Because, you know, if it's a situation where both of you want to have sex, you know, it's all about finding agreement or common ground on what it is that you want to do together. And as we've discussed on this show many times, sex isn't just one thing. You know, sex can be anything and everything that you want it to be. And maybe you'll go back and forth a few times on this. You'll each propose different alternatives until you finally settle on something that sounds appealing to both of you. So that's another way I think that is just helpful to explore this idea of boundary setting. It's not just saying no, it's here are other ways that you can go about this. And I think what you say about providing that validation is really important as well, because that can help take a lot of the sting out of something that oftentimes feels like rejection. So boundary setting isn't just about setting your own boundaries. It's a two-way street or three-way or four-way, depending on how many people are involved in your relationship. 
So if you want your partner to accept and respect your boundaries, you have to be willing to do the same for them in return. But again, sometimes a partner's boundary setting might feel like rejection to you or you'll take it personally. You know, it's always hard to hear no. So how can we learn to listen better when it comes to our partners expressing their boundaries so that we can take them for what they are instead of taking them personally? I think it's really important to realize that in most contexts, no's are not a rejection. They're a bid for intimacy. Me saying no to my partner is essentially saying, can I trust you to respect my no? And can I trust you to still love me or still want to be in connection with me in the face of my no? Can I be a no to you? And is that okay? And so when somebody says no to me, I view it as an opportunity to let them know that I'm a safe person to welcome their no. That doesn't mean I don't have space for disappointment that I might feel, but I want them to know that I appreciate that they can say no to me, that I value that they feel safe saying no to me, even if I feel disappointed, because I want them to show up with me in a way that feels genuine. And I do this in part because I know that they're going to be more likely to explore their maybes with me if their no's are welcome, but also because I want them to know that I I want to reduce the pressure in the system. I want to welcome their genuine desire and I think that the, there's a way that that feeds emotional intimacy and safety that can be profound for the level of pleasure that's possible for you in a long-term vision. Yeah. So I think a cognitive reframing is really important when you're thinking about your partner's boundaries. And I really like this idea of, you know, by respecting their nose that's going to shift the direction of where the maybes go, right? Because if you're not very respectful of their boundaries, they're not going to be willing to try new and different things with you at all, odds are, right? So it's really important to, again, be attuned with your partner, to be respectful of their boundaries, because this goes in both ways in a two-person relationship. Now, whether you're flirting with someone new or you're in a long-term relationship, if you've never taken the time to establish your boundaries, some of the lines are going to get crossed. But even if you've established your boundaries, you or your partner might violate them from time to time. So for example, maybe someone commits infidelity or does something sexual with another person in a way that goes against the rules of your relationship. And that can be really traumatizing. So how do you recover from a boundary violation in a long-term relationship and repair it when this kind of thing happens? Repair is the key word here, right? Ruptures happen in relationship and boundaries get crossed, whether accidentally because we misunderstood our somebody else's boundaries or we didn't attune properly to the boundaries or because we, for whatever reason, were not conscious enough to be able to honor their boundaries. Maybe we had a moment of poor willpower and discipline or whatever else it may be. The reality is, is that repair work sometimes is a lengthy process. It depends on the level of betrayal that comes with the violation of the boundary. And repair is not about fixing. There's actually nothing that you can do to fix something that happened in the past. It already happened. 
What repair is about is giving space for that hurt to feel acknowledged and witnessed. And that includes engaging in active listening, offering empathy, not explanation or justification, but deep empathy and any accountability that you can own for what you may have done or what you could have done differently. And then offering any genuine reassurances that you can. And here's the key. You can't offer that you're never going to hurt them again. That's not genuine. It's not possible to reassure somebody of that. But you can offer really believable, accessible reassurances that help the other person see that you get the impact of your actions, that you care about the impact of your actions, and that you're going to take steps to avoid that impact from happening again. Yeah. I think that's all very helpful in terms of thinking about all of this. And it has me thinking about how just boundaries in a relationship, just like our own personal boundaries that we've been talking about, they're flexible, they're fluid, they're adaptable, you know? And so those boundaries that you establish with your partner early on might very well shift over time in terms of what is permissible, what is acceptable. And that might actually occur in response to a boundary violation, because sometimes you both will agree on a boundary, but one of you will decide to violate that boundary, right? Because you've just never maybe thought about it or had a chance to sort of cross that line before. And then you maybe discover that you want something different. And so then that becomes a question of, can we resolve this issue by renegotiating our boundaries? Or is this just not the right fit in terms of a relationship? But the point here is just the boundaries in a relationship, I think, need to be revisited, from time to time, right? Because the rules that you set up in a long-term relationship, maybe if you're in your early 20s, they might be very different from the rules or boundaries that you establish in your 40s or 50s, right? So do you have any sense of this from your coaching practice when you work with people at sort of different stages of life, like how boundaries kind of change and evolve over the course of a long-term relationship? Yeah, I think it's very important to anticipate that that's what's going to happen. And I think part of what you're pointing to here is the relationship between boundaries and agreements. And our boundaries help inform our agreements. And agreements are living, breathing entities. It's not like a rule where you have a static rule and uh, if you break it, there's a punishment for it. An agreement is this living thing that you two have co-created. And if it's no longer suiting both of your needs, then you need to go back and revisit the agreement. And that might mean that you can find an alternative agreement. Maybe that includes outsourcing some of your needs in ways that you both agree to. Or it might mean that you're not compatible. And compatibility is also something that's fluid. You might be compatible at one point in your life and that might shift and change. And that's a hard but important truth to look at. And so because agreements are fluid as circumstances change and boundaries change, I think it can be really helpful to have regular checking conversations where you're revisiting agreements and making sure that they still work for the two of you. And in that process, you get to re-examine your boundaries that are informing those agreements. And, you know, as you're talking about all of this, it has me thinking about, you know, the way people view relationship agreements. There are two different philosophies on this, just like the way people read 
the U.S. Constitution. You know, you have some people who are the originalists who say, you know, this was the original meaning of it, and we have to govern everything based on that original rule in our relationship in order for it to work. But then you have other people who view that agreement or the Constitution as this living, breathing document that you can change and adapt to different life circumstances, different relationship circumstances. And if you've got an originalist who's partnered with somebody who is not an originalist, that's where you're going to have some conflict that arises. I think it is important, though, to do what you're saying, to look at these relationship agreements as these living, breathing things that change and evolve just as we do, because you're not the same person at different periods of life. And that necessarily means that your relationships are going to be different as well. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Dr. Ali. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work? Yes, my website is turnon.love. And when you go there, you can find out all about my coaching practice and the wide range of intimacy skills that I support both individuals and couples with, as well as my large catalog of on-demand workshops and live in-person and virtual workshops. And what I want to put on everybody's radar is my eight-week virtual online master course, sexual and emotional intimacy skills master course. It starts in January of 23. And what's so powerful about this course is there is a large cohort of folks that are taking it with you. It's highly participatory. You have the opportunity to practice all of these intimacy skills that we've been talking about that you are so hard to learn from a book or a podcast alone. You can take it in as an individual or as a couple. And if you're with a partner, you can do the exercises with them, which can feel safe where you can also branch out and meet new people, which can feel really exciting and liberating. And everything's recorded if you want extra review or miss a class. So I'm excited to teach this. It's one of my favorite things that I offer throughout the year because it offers such an in-depth examination of intimacy as well as really beautiful community of folks who are exploring the same material. It sounds like an amazing learning opportunity. Thank you again so much for your time, and thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com, or subscribe on your favorite platform, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. 